Thank you. Let us turn to the word of God. The word of God. The title of our message today is Our Eternal Hope. Our message comes from Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. And we'll be reading from verses 8 through 10 in Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, verses 8 through 10. Please rise for the reading of the word of God. Romans chapter 6. Please follow as I read. Beginning at verse 8. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Amen. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of God will stand forever. Please be seated. Remember, this is the word of God. Let us ask God for the illumination of this written word. Let us pray. Our Lord and God, give us your spirit. Increase our capacity to listen and learn from your word. Increase our love for your gospel message. Bless our listeners. We ask and we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. The title of our message once again is Our Eternal Hope. The topic of our message. The topic of our message is Jesus Christ, the source of our resurrection. Over in Romans chapter 6, verses 8 through 10, what does it say to us? I propose that in Romans chapter 6, verses 8 through 10, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, concisely describes the resurrection of Jesus. <clears throat> because Jesus is the living Christ of Christians. How can we fully understand all this? Well, I will try to support this with the following three points. Point number one. Because Jesus is our living Christ, God has condemned all others. Because Jesus is our living Christ, God has united us with Christ. Point number three, because Jesus is the Christians, living Christ, Christians trust in the resurrected Lord. Now I see some puzzlement on our faces out there. I hope to try to clarify any questions as time goes on. Now that I have covered my introduction, let us move into the body of our message. Now, let me make it clear again. 
Point number one. It deals with the guilt of humanity. I don't know if you realize this. And I hope that you understand that because Jesus is the Christian's living Christ. God has condemned all others. Now, based upon this passage, how, we, how may we know that Paul, first of all, that Paul selectively describes the resurrection of Jesus? Well, what we need to do, first of all, we need to turn to the scriptures and find this out. So let's go over to Romans chapter 6. Let's turn there. Romans chapter 6. Are you with me? Romans chapter 6. So I believe that Paul selectively describes the resurrection of Jesus based upon this passage, which we will see as we read. Romans chapter 6, beginning at verse 8. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Now, I'd like to make a comment right here. Notice there. It says, now if. Now, I believe that would be more accurately translated as since. Now, don't get me wrong, because you're probably thinking, well, now you're changing the word of God. No, I'm not changing the word of God, okay? Um, there, are other there are other versions, other Bible versions, that also render the Greek word, which is behind there, uh, as since. Now, I think it should be rendered as since because it's a fact that Jesus died. Are you with me? There is no resurrection without what? Death. <laughs> okay, so that's why it's no if. It should not be set up as if. And I don't think that's what Paul was trying to, to do here. I think what he was trying to say, he was, he was, he's bringing into light the fact that since we die, we die with who? Christ. Christ died. Now, we can see this if we go up a little bit further. We can see also something similar to this where it says in verse 3, or don't you know that all of us, it reads, verse 3, chapter 6, or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into what? His death. His death. So it's, it's a fact that Christ died. And so this is why I'm saying Paul selectively describes or I wouldn't even say not selectively, but concisely. He's, he's trying to be concise in his words, use of words here. And that's why I think instead of selectively, it should be concisely. Okay? So he concisely describes the resurrection of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Now, so as I, as, as I have pointed out, this supports my statement. Okay, so this supports my statement by showing that death is what? An important element of the resurrection of Jesus. There is no resurrection without first a what? Death. 
Now, the next question I'd like to pose to you is, why is death a necessary part of the resurrection of Jesus? Why is it necessary? Well, I'm convinced that death is an important element of the resurrection of Jesus because according to scripture, there is no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. Did you understand that? There is no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. We can see this in, especially in Hebrews chapter 9, verses 6 through 28. It talks about this. It talks about the forgiveness of sins. And it talks about the shedding of blood. If you recall, in the Old Testament, the ceremonial laws that were set up, especially by Israel, um, that was commanded by God, it was a bloody, what, business. It was a very bloody business. There was a lot of sacrifices, a lot of sacrifices of animals, that is bulls and goats and so forth. The reason for that was that God was trying to teach them that, listen, this, this sin, the sin that he, he spoke so much about through the prophets, through, 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 through Moses, it was, it was a serious affair. It was a serious event. And that God, God's plan was to deal with sin. Through the sacrifice of a man. In order that the sins of a people, his people, would be forgiven. Do you understand this? And this is why I'm trying to bring this out. And I'm bringing it out probably in a different way that you're probably accustomed to and used to. But I'm doing this in hopes of teaching you something here. That it's important to understand that there is no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. That is, without the giving of life for those who have sinned. Do you understand that? Alright, so now, what does death signify? Would be the next question. What does death signify? Well, I'm convinced that based upon... The evidence that's given in scripture. Death signifies the judgment of God against sinful humanity. It signifies the judgment of God. Now how does this support my statement? Well I am convinced that this supports my statement by showing that the death of Christ. Which is an important element of the resurrection of Jesus. Was the result of the judgment of God. Against sinful humanity. Do you understand that? So now, the next question would be, who is sinful humanity? Who is sinful humanity? Is it you? Is it someone else? Well, Let's turn to scripture again. Let's go over to Romans chapter 5, verses 12. Let's start at verse, verse 12. Romans chapter 5. 
Now, notice I, I pose that question. Is it, is it you? I'm, I'm asking, is it you? I'm asking, is it someone else other than Christians? Well, let's see what the, what the scripture says. Verse 12, it says, therefore, everybody say, therefore. therefore. Just as sin entered the world through one man. Who's that one man? Adam, very good. And death through sin. And in this way, death came to a few men? No. A couple of men? No. All men. One man? All men. No, it came to what? All All men. men. Why? Because a few sin. Is that what the text says? All sin. All sin. All right? That's important to understand that. That little word right there makes a big difference, doesn't it? Makes a very big difference. So all sin. Verse 13. Now, for before the law was given, way before the law was even given, notice that. That is the law that was given to Israel. God's chosen people. Remember we talked we've been talking a lot about the Israelites, right? The Jacob, right? Remember Jacob and all his descendants. Before the law was even given to the descendants of Jacob, guess what? Sin was where? In the world. In the world. Now notice that, in the world. Does that mean the world, the earth as we know it, or the universe? No. What does it mean? It was in who? Us. Humanity. It was in humanity. Because of the fall of who? Our first what? Parents. Our first parents. Adam and Eve. Now we'll talk a little bit more about that later on. But you need to understand this. You need to grab hold of this. But sin is not taken into account where there is no law. Meaning that, listen, where there is no law, sin was not taken into account. God was merciful. During this time when there was no law, God could have ended the show when Adam and Eve first sinned. He could have said, you know what? It's, it's done. It's through. It's finished. Let's clear the, let's clear the, let's clear the, let's clear the table. Let's clear the slate. This, this plan didn't what? Work. We need a new plan. We need to start all over. He could have did that and just completely destroyed them. Wiped him completely off the face of the earth. But he didn't. Why? Because he had a plan. His plan was to do what? To save us. To save us. To bring us what? Back into a right relationship with him. With himself. With God Almighty. And that, listen. This is what. Listen. You've got to understand this. This is what. Salvation in Christ Jesus is all about. It's all about bringing a people, a sinful people, back into a right relationship with God Almighty. Amen? Amen. However, this would only take place by the what? The shedding of blood. There is no forgiveness of sins without the shedding of blood. Without the death of an individual a man. Amen? Amen. 
Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who was a pattern of the one to come. Who was the one to come? Jesus. That's good. Jesus. The Christ. The Messiah. You know, I'm using this word Christ a lot, but you need to understand this, this word Messiah, the Christ is, is, is a, it's basically a translation, first of all, the Greek word Christos, but also it, it, um, it's, it's a, um, basically it comes from the word also, the Hebrew word, which is, stands for Messiah. That is the anointed one. One who was chosen by God. Chosen by God to be the sacrifice of his people. Amen? Okay. The main point is what? That Jesus received the punishment that what? Humanity deserves. That is us. Can you see that? It was necessary that Jesus receive the punishment that we deserve. Now, based upon our message, how can we know that God has condemned all others? Remember I said in our and in, in, in I said earlier that God has condemned all others. Let's talk a little bit about this. Many scholars, and I'm in agreement with them, agree that the term condemn is best defined as an act of pronouncing someone guilty after weighing the evidence. Guilty after weighing the evidence. Now, why do I believe that God has condemned all humanity based upon his definition? Let us find out. Let's go over to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. And we'll begin reading at verse 8. Everybody turn with me to Genesis chapter what? 3. Genesis chapter 3. Beginning at verse 8. Everyone there? Okay. Everyone look up once you're there. Because this is important. This is very important that we understand how this supports my statement that God has condemned all others because of Christ. The, the, the state of Christ. Because Jesus is the Christian's living Christ. That is because Jesus, right, Jesus, he's not, he's no longer dead, but he is where? He is alive in heaven. In what form is he alive in heaven? Is he in a, a spiritual form? Or is he in a bodily form? He's in a bodily form, right? Children, you all remember this from your catechism, right? He's in a bodily form. He has a body just like we do. But only thing is, his body is a resurrected body. The kind of body that we too one day hope to have. Amen? Amen. Now, back to the issue of condemnation. Verse 8, it says, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Now, most commentators, or many commentators, 
And many scholars believe that this cool of the day really would be best translated as the day of judgment. The day of judgment. Listen, God is the judge, the supreme judge of us all. And so if you can't imagine with me, imagine as we're reading this, imagine, imagine God. Right? He's coming. And to the, he's coming onto the scene. Now remember, he's coming to the scene in a glorified form. Now what do I mean by a glorified form? Meaning that he's not coming in his full, his fullness. Because why? Because no one can actually see God and, 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 and live. Especially simple humanity. So he's coming in a glorified form. He's coming in sort of a form that is veiled. But it's, he's coming as the judge, I remember when I was growing up, I used to watch, I forget what show that was, but I think it was Flip Wilson, the Flip Wilson show. Flip Wilson was a comedian, a very popular comedian back in my day, my early days. And there was a skit, and uh, it was a skit, and the skit was, uh, if you can imagine, it was a, it was a court scene. And so... Whenever the judge would enter into this court scene, you would hear this 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 jingle sort of or this this song. Here comes the judge. Here comes the judge. Everybody knows that here comes the judge. You know, and so you know, it was just it was it was supposed to be making fun of you know our judicial system because I don't know if you many of you probably haven't been in a, in a court of law, but whenever the the judge enters into the courtroom, everybody has to do what? rise. They have to stand up and they have to honor him and honor that courtroom by honor the judge of that courtroom by standing up. So that's what they would do. Here comes the judge. Here comes the judge. Everybody knows that here comes the judge. And so, but listen, this is sort of like what's happening here. The judge is coming in onto the scene. And what do judges do? They judge, right? And so, you know, again, Remember I said condemn is best defined as an act of pronouncing someone guilty after weighing, weighing the evidence. So what God is getting ready to do, he's getting ready to what? Weigh the evidence. Are you following me now? So what, how does he do this? Well, as he's walking in the garden in the day of judgment and they hid. I, I, I'm paraphrasing that now. That's my, I'm putting that into the text. Hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man. Where are you? He's asking questions. Right? That's how you weigh the evidence. You begin by doing what? Asking questions. And then what happened? He answered. Who answered? Adam. Good. No. Yeah, Adam. Right. He answered, Adam answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. So, you know, the fact that he's hiding, that means what? He knows that he's guilty. He knows that he has rebelled against God, that he has broke covenant, as it were, in this case. He had broke the promise that he would keep the garden. He had broke the, the promise 
that he would defend the garden, that he would defend all God's creatures, especially who? His wife. That was, that was essentially his job. His job was to defend God's creation. But he failed, and he knew it. He was ashamed. Children, all the time, you're like that, right? You know when you did wrong. Even the cat, Boo Boo Kitty, right? When she does something wrong, she knows it. She has this guilty look on her face. It's like, I'm sorry. I messed up. <laughs> you know? And it's such a cute look. You kind of like look at her like, okay, it's all right. It's fine. Go, go ahead. Go ahead. Go. You know, I don't want to deal with you right now. You're too cute. So anyways, but in this case, God was not like that. Right? God is the supreme judge. And guess what? He's, he's going he's gonna to hold justice. He's going he's gonna, to he's gonna keep the justice. He's going to keep the peace by holding, uh, making sure that everyone is accountable. And that's what he's doing here. He's going to make them accountable for what they've done. And when you agree that's a loving, that's a loving God, really, aren't you, aren't you glad that God is faithful even when we're faithless? Aren't you glad that, of that? Aren't you glad to know that God is, his, that he will, that he will um, bring justice to all? Amen? So I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Again, he's weighing the evidence. Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? See, listen there. He broke what? God's commandment. He didn't obey. So God is holding him accountable. Now, what did the man say? Did he say, yeah, I, I did it. I, I, broke, I broke a commandment. I messed up. Please, please forgive me. He blamed the woman. <laughs> I messed up. I, I'm guilty. Do with me as you please, dear Lord. Did he do that? No. What did he do? Let's see. The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Notice that. What is he doing there? He's blaming who? The woman. The woman. So, would you think, what, what, what should be God's reply at this point? Should it be like, oh yeah, you're right. It was the woman who did this. Let me go talk to the woman. Let me deal with her. No. No. Well, let's see what God does. As he says, and the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, listen there, he was, she was instigated by the serpent. So now God is going to make who? Everyone accountable, including what? The serpent. The serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. Now, remember, this serpent was a tool of, the, of Satan himself. So basically, now what God is doing, he's doing, he's, he's declaring war upon Satan. Against, I should say not upon, but against Satan. It's a battle. It's about to get ready to break, break loose. It's about to happen. God is like, okay, it's on. 
It's on. You know what? It's on. We're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna, we, God, God is saying, you know what? I'm gonna take care of this. I'm gonna make it, I'm gonna make it right. And that's what really you see from this point on. This, the whole Bible unfolds. It's a battle between good and evil. God is good. Satan is what? Evil. And all those who, who follow him, God is going to hold them accountable. And that's what he's starting with. Who? The serpent. He's going to make him accountable first. And all those who follow Satan, he's going to make them accountable. Are you with me? So between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers, he will crush your what? Your head. No, I'm sorry. Let me, let's move back up. It says, you will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put anemone right there. That's what, when I was talking about the war, declaring war, anemone, that's what he's doing. That's what anemone means. He's, he's declaring war upon Satan and all his, those who follow him. Beginning with the serpent. And between you and the woman. Who's the woman? The, 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 the offspring of the first woman, which will eventually be who? Cain. Mary. Does it sound familiar? Yes. Mary. Listen, this is, this is right here. This is the gospel. God is declaring the good news. He's saying, you know what? You, you guys, you know, you guys, all you, all you guys screwed up. But guess what? The good news is that I'm going to bring in my son. And that's why it says between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Now, a crush to your head is a deadly blow. It's going to kill him. But to strike the heel, he's just going to wound him. Even to a point of death. But guess what? Death is not going to hold him. Who's this I'm talking about? Jesus. Death is not going to hold him. And to the woman, he said, I will greatly increase your pains. And he goes on. He's, 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 he's given them the consequences for their sins. He's telling them the consequences of their sins. And he's, 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 he's punishing them for what they have done. Do you see this? So this is what I mean by condemned. This is why I believe that God has condemned humanity. We see this in the garden scene. How does this support my statement? This supports my statement because scripture clearly teaches that God has pronounced all humanity guilty of sin. He administered the consequences which is physical, spiritual, and eternal death. Now, So the, even though Adam and Eve did not immediately die, at that point, they eventually did what? Die, didn't they? They didn't, they didn't. God didn't raise them from the dead. So again, that's a sign that death is the judgment of God. Are you, are, are you with me? Yeah. Now, let's move on to point number two. I'm going to move real quickly now because I, I think I made it clear where I'm heading and what I'm thinking. And I hope you, hope you see this. Because Jesus is our living Christ, God has united us with Christ. We need a savior, don't we? Based upon what we just read, we need what? A savior. And that savior is Jesus. Amen? Now, he's the Christ. When I say he's the living Christ, he's the living Christ because he was resurrected from what? The dead. This signifies God's pleasure with the son. This signifies 
his, his contentment with the sacrifice that he had given upon the cross. And also, this brings us to a point of where we're at in all of this. Well, how do we know that God, first of all, united us with Christ? Because that's what I'm saying. Because Jesus is our living Christ. God has did what? United us with Christ. He has made us what? One. That's what I'm talking about. We're one with Christ. So everything that belongs to him belongs to what? Us. This is the good news. Amen? So now let's go over to Romans uh, real quickly once again. Uh, chapter 12. I think I've already read that, right? So we saw that... Um, Oh no! Let's go. Let's go. Let's go over to Romans chapter six, verse three. Let's look at that for a moment. It says here, "Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death?" Notice that baptized into Christ Jesus. That's what I'm talking about. Being united with God. Listen, you remember when you were baptized? You were baptized in the name of what? The Father, the Son. And the Holy Spirit. That signifies that you are one with them. With the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They're one. Even though they're three persons, there's one. One God. One divine being. So now, as far as Christ goes, we are united with him. And so, just, guess what? Over here, it says here, In Romans chapter 6, verse 9. I'm pausing because I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about this. I just want to make sure. Yeah, here we go. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he what? He died. He, he will die again. Is that what it says? Like Adam. The Adam wasn't raised from the dead, but Adam eventually died, right? And, but, you know, and there were other people who were raised from the dead, right, in the Bible? But they didn't what? They didn't raise again, did they? I mean, so you need to understand this. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot what? Die, Die again. Death no longer has what? Mastery over him. Isn't that wonderful? Because, listen, our day is coming too. Where it will be the same for us. And this is why I call this our eternal hope. Our eternal hope is in Christ. It's the living Christ. A resurrected Christ. A Christ that has overcome death. And has made us partakers. Of his, his, his benefits. Of his glory. Amen? So that's why this supports my statement. That by showing that the union with the living Christ. Is God's sovereign will for Christians. This is what God's plan is for us. And has always been for us. Is to unite us with the Son. To unite us and to bring us into a full fellowship with Him. With God Almighty. 
And the only way we can have a full fellowship with God Almighty is the only way that we can exist and enjoy all the benefits of an adopted children is that we, too, we have to be transformed. And as we have to be changed, beginning with the inner person and ending with the what? The outer person. And it, remember, listen, it's important to understand, we're, God created us what? Both body and soul. And our only comfort in life and death is that we're not our own, but we belong to our faithful Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The reason why I'm sharing this is because I hope that it will comfort you during this time. During this time where there are going to be days, and you probably already had them, where you, you, know, you, just, you, you, you just can't endure them. You're wondering to yourself, is there a God? Is this all there is to life? Is there, it's got to be more than this. Especially during times where we what? We lose someone. Someone has died and has passed on. So this is why I call this our eternal hope. And I hope that it encourages you. And I hope that it brings you comfort during this time. Now, because Jesus is our living Christ, Christians do what? They trust in the resurrected Lord. So as Christians, we, we trust in the resurrected Lord. Why do we trust in the resurrected Lord? We trust because of our renewed hearts. With the renewed heart, we trust that Jesus was raised from the dead. We trust that he ascended into heaven. And that even right now, he sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And we're waiting for the day when he returns. When he will return. Because we know that in that day, when he returns, we will be fully renewed as well. And we will be fully made like him. That is, we will have eternal, not only eternal souls that are renewed by by God, but we also have new bodies that will be renewed by God as well, that will be transformed, that will be resurrected, and we will live with God Almighty forevermore. Amen? Amen? A day in which there will be no more crying, no more weeping. Do you believe? Do you believe? I must, I must always end with offering the gospel of Jesus Christ. This gospel is I'm, I'm, I'm convinced and I'm learning more and more each day. It's for everyone. It's for everyone to hear. It's for everyone to hear. And so I'm presenting this to you. And I'm asking you, do you believe? I'm going to challenge you. Do you believe? Like Paul, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel is a righteousness from God. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written. The righteous will live by faith. We walk by faith and not by sight. It's a trusting. It's a clinging with all our being. And the testimony of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The testimony which has been given by the Holy Spirit, which God has placed within each and every one who believes. It's the testimony of the apostles, the testimony of the prophets and all those who have gone before us. A testimony of the patriarchs, Isaac, Jacob, or I should say, beginning with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, our forefathers. It's the testimony 
that was held by our first parents even. Remember I showed you the gospel in Genesis chapter 3 verse 15. It was held by them. They too was waiting for this Messiah, for the Christ. Are you with me this morning? Do you believe? Do you believe? Now that I have covered my bo- uh, covered everything so far in the body of my message, let us move into the conclusion of our message. Let us remember that point number one. Because Jesus is our living Christ, God has condemned all others. Also, let us not forget point number two. Because Jesus is our living Christ, God has united us with Christ. That is, he has made us one. That is the good news. Amen? Death no longer is to be feared by those who are in Christ Jesus. That is the point of this message. We need not fear death. We only should fear who? God. That's it. We should only fear God. We should not fear man that is humanity that is anyone else but God. Because we trust that we are in the hands of God. That we are adopted children of the Lord God Almighty. Amen? Finally, let us remember point number three. Because Jesus is our living Christ, Christians trust in the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We trust in the resurrected Lord. Let us close in prayer. Lord God, thank you for illuminating your written word. Thank you for giving us your Holy Spirit. Thank you for increasing our love for you and your written message. That is the gospel message. Once again, bless our listeners. As we leave leave this place, we ask and we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Now please rise for the doxology. Now to him who is able to keep you, to him who is able to strengthen you, according to the divine revelation of the gospel of Jesus Christ, according to the mystery that was kept secret for a very long time, but has now been disclosed, and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God, to bring about the obedience of faith, to the only wise God be glory and honor, both dominion and power, both now and forevermore. Amen. Amen. Please hug one another and enjoy the rest of the day. God bless you.